your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, holds it, looks, sets, throws, pass, caught on the first down. It's on the 20, 15, shoots the defender, 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska. Juan Dale Robinson's first touchdown as a Cornhusker. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Tim Curran and Austin Orman. Hey folks, welcome into a Friday night edition of Sports Nightly. My name is Tim Curran. With me, helping me drive the ship tonight, Austin Orman. And normally, we are behind the scenes, but now the inmates are running the asylum. (laughs) Uh, Greg and Ben both out, but they will be with us tonight, uh, starting at 7.30 for Nebraska baseball as they are in the 20 Quinn Legacy in San Diego. Nebraska is going to play San Diego tonight. So, again, uh, Austin and I with you here until 7.30. And then uh, Greg and Ben will be back with you, uh, back piping through your eardrums <laughs> for baseball at 7.30. First, 8 o'clock first pitch there. So, uh, But, hey, we have a full uh, 90 minutes here with you. And, um, of course, Austin, the first thing uh, we're going to jump into here is the, the, the Nebraska ball game last night. Of course, Michigan State won that one. 86 to 65 and uh, I guess what are your main takeaways from it another great first half out of the Huskers you know you go down into the half 39 to 36 not bad Nebraska played pretty well for most of that first half of course there were bits and pieces where it wasn't great Nebraska up 17 12 and then allowed three straight three pointers to Michigan State it's the last time the Huskers saw the lead the Spartans got open looks they knocked him down but Nebraska goes two for one at the end of the first half and don't get they get a bucket. Deshaun Burke hits a three to tie it at 36. You're feeling good. Like, okay, we're going to go in tied. We have a chance here. But then at the end of the shot clock, Cam Mack jumps at Foster Lawyer when there were four seconds left, I believe. Cam Mack jumps, tries to contest the shot when Lawyer wasn't even squared at the basket. Extra pass, extra pass. Aaron Henry knocks down a wide open three. Michigan State goes up 39-36 heading into the break after Deshaun Burke doesn't get a good shot off. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a disappointing end there, but I credit Nebraska because that game was 30-23 to at one point. Nebraska had looked stalled. The offense wasn't doing a whole lot. And I thought that's where Michigan State was really going to take control of that game. But a backdoor cut uh, layup that Kevin Cross found to Neef Cheatham for, and then... Uh, Deshaun Burke got a tip and gave Cheatham another layup, got a 30-27 game. Nebraska kept pace with Michigan State the rest of the half from there. So credit Nebraska digging in on the defensive end, not letting that game get out of hand, Mm -hmm. at least initially in the first half. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say before getting into the game proper is, you know, it would be easy to look at the second half last night and just start, you know, pulling your hair out or, or, you know, just kind of moaning about the general state of things. But the thing that you have to keep in mind, and this is something that Chris Hetty of the Omaha World Herald brought up in our pregame show, is that, you know, Obviously, and I, I'm not the first person to say this by far. It's a foundation laying year, and the thing about that is you could you can try and tweak the offense and get cute and kind of say, okay, how does our personnel match up? Let's maybe let's maybe let's tweak some things. But no, Coach Hoiberg, I think has wisely done is say we're going to run our offense. We're going to try and get our guys in. We're going to try and build a roster from scratch within a few months. And so, you know, when you're running with that type of pace and intensity every single night, and in fact, they did it pretty well in the first half. I mean, that defensive game plan, I mean, Michigan State was bottled up, and that's an elite shooting team. Yes, they've had their struggles this season, as pretty much every team in the Big Ten and beyond has had. I mean, that's not a surprise. But, um, you know, Nebraska has hung around, hung around in the first half. They were only down by three. In fact, they had tied it up before the end of the first half, and Michigan State just took the lead at the very end 
of the half and the second half you know i just think that it legs are an issue you know guys are tired you know we're in kind of the the meat of the season it's it's coming down to the you know the stretch it's basically about over and you know there's it's it's a lot of energy required to kind of keep pace um especially when you're running that hoiberg offense and so you know what i tell people and i don't think any husker fans they're, they're smart they they keep this all stuff in perspective you know there's no point in in, in just in you know freaking out about the outcome of the game because um, there's lots of positive things and I'm sure um, also I know you have a lot of uh, notes on this one but you know the first thing Deshaun Burke was amazing in the first half uh, I mean he just came alive you look at his first half box score he had 18 points on six of 11 shooting hit four three pointers uh, pretty incredible stuff you could use that output <laughs> uh, any any day that that's nice and then um, and then Ivan Ivan Wade Drago I mean talk about a guy who has only steadily increased as the season has gone on last night 10 points he had seven boards um and he never ever looked like he was at, actually had a couple blocks too he just looked a lot more comfortable in his role and that's what you expect i mean he's from france he's i think he's still 17 he might have just turned 18 he won't but, turn 18 till after the big 10 tournament in so March. there you go he's 17 years old he, i mean he looks much older than that but um a guy that has only grown with with um you know, as the season's gone on and he cheat him had a good night 14 points and so um there's there's a lot of good things to take away from the performance and you know and that's not to not to you know look through things through two rose colored lenses <laughs> but you know I, I think that you can look at that game last night and still come away thinking some positive things I mean you still have a, a lot of games left let's start with Deshaun Burke probably his best performance overall since either Indiana or Wisconsin the first time you know getting matched up with Cassius Winston at points isn't necessarily easy but Deshaun Burke had half of Nebraska's points in the first half mm-hmm. no one else had scored more than five going into halftime and Deshaun Burke kept Nebraska afloat in that game they hid hit two threes there at the end that brought Nebraska tied a couple times there at 30 and then at 36, I believe, when Deshaun Burke hit his three-pointers. And that's, I think, a Deshaun Burke Nebraska needs more, but it's hard mm. to get that out of him a lot because Deshaun Burke played well, but Cam Mack has taken a little bit of a step back now. When Cam Mack was playing well, Deshaun Burke wasn't. I don't think those two have to be necessarily mutually exclusive, that one succeeds and the other fails necessarily. That's just how it's looked. And I think that's the best we've seen Deshaun Burke, he looked confident off the dribble. He got his first one to go down. I think that's key. He saw the ball go in the basket early. He felt like he could be in attack mode. Ivan mm-hmm. Wade Drago, the other player you mentioned, 10 points, 7 boards, 4 of 6 from the floor, uh, 2 of 3 on free throws. He looked comfortable out there. We haven't seen that a whole lot out of, out of uh, Ivan Wade Drago. He looked in control. He didn't look mm-hmm. overmatched. Xavier Tillman is an absolute load. He's huge. You know, He's experienced as well. He's been around the block. Ivan Wade Drago hasn't. And while Wade Drago didn't necessarily change the game for Nebraska, he did his job. He looked more patient. He didn't go straight up with it and rush his layups. He drew an and one on a nice pump fake, Mm -hmm. finished through contact a couple times. You and I were talking about the block he had a little bit, pretty emphatic swat. Mm -hmm. So I was very impressed with how Ivan Wade Drago handled the matchup. Yeah. And I mean, you look at the second half, too. It was actually a seven-point game with about nine minutes left to go. And, you know, it seemed like the entire second half was just a disaster. Well, it really wasn't. I mean, Nebraska was still hanging around. And again, and I think that when you have an elite shooting team and a team that has a lot more bodies to use, because Nebraska, again, we, with, with Kavis um, being out and, and just not having a huge roster in general, that's going to be really hard to keep that energy up. And, of course, that was the same case with Nebraska last year, as a lot of times the floor could, could kind of fall out. Um, we've seen that a lot. And, yeah, I mean, there, there's some stuff, too, obviously, 
that you kind of scratch your head and look at. I mean, uh, you know, Michigan State, they hit, I believe, a total of, of 13 three-pointers. 13 of one. 27. So, you know, again, we, we saw against the uh, the game that was most kind of emblematic, I feel, of, of this team of Nebraska uh, early in the season. It was uh, Nebraska playing in Madison at the Kohl Center, and that's when Wisconsin hit 18 three-pointers. So obviously giving up those threes, like closing out on the perimeter, that has been a kind of a consistent issue. And, you know, the same amount of point paints. I mean, both Nebraska and Michigan State scored 30 points each in the paint. But, of course, where the difference is coming out is kind of the mid-range game and, and three-point land. So that's that's kind of what's hurting Nebraska right now. I don't know if it's a feature or a bug that Nebraska allows so many of these open threes. I'd love to be able to pick Doc Sadler's brain because mm-hmm. you look at early on in the Big Ten slate, Nebraska got two Big Ten wins at home. Purdue for the first win two days after the Indiana game. Purdue shot horrendously from three. And then not long after that, January 7th, Iowa goes four of 33 from long range. Nebraska shut down Luka Garza pretty well. They doubled down on the post, forced the guards to beat them. They didn't. That's continued. Nebraska's used that same game plan. It just hasn't worked. You know, Iowa, Purdue, everyone since pretty much has gotten open three-point looks. Really, the only opponent that hasn't knocked them down is Maryland in that road game that Nebraska went to. But Wisconsin's done it twice. Badgers have gone 18 of 34 and 15 of 31 from three against Nebraska. Here, Penn State went 10 of 26. Iowa went 11 of 28. Ohio State, 10 of 22. Northwestern, only 10 of 29. But that first half is when they built that 15-plus point advantage. Nebraska couldn't quite quite crawl back. Mm -hmm. Giving up open threes is... You know, they're college basketball players. Even if the team doesn't shoot well, if they're that open, they're going to knock a lot of them down. And what I think is the issue, at least to some extent, Nebraska gets a little trigger happy trying to jump to block the shot, a little over aggressive in helping off as well. The primary on-ball defender won't be quite burned, but someone else will feel like it's their job to help to step in, leads to an easy extra pass, an extra easy pass, winds up in a wide open three-pointer, and college basketball players just don't miss it. Right. And if you have some thoughts uh, about the game, give us a call at 866-487-5371. That's the number to our Sports Nightly Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline. Sports Nightly Hotline is brought to you by Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience a difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Taking a quick look, though, Austin, at uh, the rest of the games they have on the slate. Of course, the next one coming up here pretty fast on Monday. The Hustlers are going to go to Champaign, take on Illinois at the State Farm Center. And then a pretty quick turnaround at Thursday. They're back at PBA for two-game home stretch. It's Ohio State and Northwestern, which will be senior day. And then they're back on the road at Michigan, at Minnesota. So pretty, pretty brutal stretch to close out on um, all those teams are really good. Of course, the one game that seems eminently winnable, obviously would be the senior day game uh, versus Northwestern. But I still think you probably have a chance to get at least two more wins. Um, you look at Northwestern. That's one that I think Nebraska really, really could win. Um, maybe even should win. And then you also have, of course, maybe you say Ohio state cause it's a home, but at the same time, I think maybe call me crazy. Maybe at Minnesota, Maybe in the barn, you might be able to sneak one. You know, I don't know. We'll see. I feel like Minnesota is the most likely option of the road games. I think Illinois is playing too well right now. They just went into the Bryce Jordan Center and beat top 10 Penn State. So that one looks iffy. But Nebraska and Illinois have played some some really, really interesting games in the past. So never throw anything out the window when Nebraska and Illinois play in Champaign. Ohio State's, I think, just not a good matchup for Nebraska with how Caleb Wesson can stretch the floor. And like Michigan, Ohio State has a couple of wings, 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", guys, where Nebraska doesn't have a whole lot of that with that athleticism. That's why I think Aaron Henry and Gabe Brown were big keys for Michigan State last night. Ohio State can do a little bit of that same thing with wing-type players. 
Northwestern at home, the Wildcats shot very well in the first half. Nebraska did a great job. Credit the Huskers for crawling out of that 15-plus point deficit. But again, that's a game that you're probably more talented physically than Northwestern. And you, again, just allowed too many open shots. That's inherently winnable, you know, especially on senior day. Hopefully you get a good crowd out there like it has been pretty much all year. Very engaged crowd last night, too. Mm-hmm. Seemed like they were in it, especially the student section oh, yeah. for the rest of the game. Oh, the the but, crowd has been amazing all season, and I, it will continue to be. And that, that's that's one thing that Fred Hoiberg all, constantly credits is this crowd's amazing and really has been. Yeah, sometimes it's more quiet than you would want to be if you're a Nebraska player, but at the same time, you can't knock the support. Uh, hold that thought, though. Right now we're going to go to Carla out in Lincoln. Uh, Carla, how are you? Carla, are you with us? Ask you. Yes. Hello. Are you there? Yep, Can you hear yep, me? I got you. Okay. Um, I was just calling concerning one and watching last night's game. What was their the, our offensive rebounding? Because it seemed like they would just toss it up there and eh, no big deal went in, didn't go in. And they'd take off. And there was no rebounding. So just wondering what you're feeling. You guys feel about that part of the game? And I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Yeah. Um, the rebounding. It was tw- we uh, Nebraska had 26 rebounds and Michigan State had a grand total of 51. So obviously on the glass, the Huskers have been were pretty much dominated. And that's been the case all season. I mean, it's always been the case of who is going to be able to get rebounds on this team. A lot of it, frankly, just has to do with size. Size is part of it. But when you look at offensive rebounds, to Carla's question, Michigan State had 16 offensive rebounds. Nebraska had nine. And that's about where Nebraska's been. That might even be a little high for this team. This isn't a team that crashes the glass on the offensive side a whole lot. You know, they're not big. They don't have a 6'11", 7-foot guy that can just stretch his arms up and you know, snag the rebound onto the air like that. They don't have a lot of those wings that can pursue from the backside and jump over someone for an offensive rebound. This team doesn't have the personnel to offensive rebound necessarily. Like last night, mm-hmm. Michigan State's also a team that likes to run in transition. So I think nine is also a little bit high for Nebraska too because they like to get back in transition and play defense, not allow easy fast break buckets a whole lot. So offensive rebounding isn't a big part of what this team does. It hasn't been all year. And given the personnel, I'm not entirely surprised. Right. And, that, that you know, of course, yeah, Carla was, was talking specifically about offensive rebounding. I just gave the totals in general. But again, even on the defensive side of the ball, um, there was possession – um, and I want to say it was in the first half last night where Michigan might have had three or four offensive boards and <laughs> same possession. So uh, it, it has a couple times. It, and, in that, and that's kind of been the, the tail of the tape, really, for Nebraska this season. And getting that figured out and a guy like Ivan, um, you know, as his career progresses, he's only going to get stronger in that aspect. But you also need more than just one player on the team who can fight for boards. And a guy like too, like, like Deshaun Burke, he can rebound the ball, too. A lot of that depends on, you know, him being able to time out his jumps correctly and um you know and, and Gervais the same way but again when you're when you're asking those guards who are you know six three six four to go up against seven footers and the big 10 too I mean I think the big 10 is such a brutal league because you have guys who are that NBA prototypical size and frame and it's so much easier for them to just to, to get rebounds than I mean you got to look at a guy like on Nebraska like a cola rope I mean he's one of the bigger guys on the team and of course that's <laughs> that's a, that presents a challenge it just that that's just the reality of it absolutely Nebraska's guards aren't bad rebounders. I mean, Gervais Green pulls down rebounds with flair. He'll jump up there and snag it with one hand, looking like an NFL wide receiver a couple times, rip it down. Cam Mack has had a triple-double. He's a good rebounding guard, despite how frail he is. Thorier Thorbjarnerson works himself into position. But sometimes just a little bump is all it takes to send you out of the way, not a foul necessarily, but those guys are pretty frail. 
on the yeah. aggregate. Gervais Green, a little thicker. He's probably the best at boxing out typically when he's engaged. But yeah, rebounding was always going to be a struggle for this team. It's something I think goes away to an extent next year with Delano Banton, Derek Walker, Shamil Stevenson. They're all 6'6 plus, 220 plus, bigger bodies, more of that wing type player that helps you rebound the ball. Yeah, and again, Nebraska will next be in action on Monday. Uh, it's a 7 o'clock first tip, but a 6 o'clock pregame start here on the Husker Sports Network, so don't forget about that on Monday. Uh, real quick before we take a break, um, and some news of the day in case you missed it. Uh, Prince of Mukamura of the Chicago Bears, former Husker, actually just did get cut, uh, which is unfortunate news because, I mean, I thought he was a heck of a player, even in the NFL. I mean, he's one of those guys that, um, you know, he was in the Bo Pelini era, and him and him and uh, Alfonso Denard were were. were to lock down absolute stud DDB. So hopefully um, he'll get picked up by, by another team. But um, of course, looking at uh, the draft this year, um, one of the guys in secondary, Lamar Jackson, is kind of the next hope for, for Nebraska to kind of continue that NFL draft legacy as, as we go along. So hopefully Lamar uh, gets drafted. And, and that's probably, I don't know, Austin, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Lamar is probably the likeliest to be drafted. I, mean, I think I that's general consensus. Lamar Jackson at 6'4", 210, runs like a gazelle. He's the physical specimen that you can work with at the very least. He's worked himself into a very good cornerback uh, since he you know, really turned things around, I think, last year after that come-to-frost moment on the sideline. He's been a really good cornerback. The Daniels brothers, or uh, no, the Davis brothers, Davis twins, excuse me, mm-hmm. have impressed at camps. Khalil Davis down at the Senior Bowl camp, I believe it was. People that were watching said he looked just absolutely unguardable one-on-one. He was beating people off the block. So I don't know if he's worthy of a late-round pick physically. I think the potential is there. The production in college was inconsistent at best, but I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, the Davis twins get a flyer with someone in the NFL in training camp. Even Darian Daniels, you know, just as big as he is, he doesn't have quite the pass rush skills of a guy like Vince Wilfork or, and Albert Hainsworth, some of the bigger bodies. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just need someone to eat up size, especially if you're going to play against teams like, say, Baltimore, say, Tennessee, that really focus on a power-based run game. Darian Daniels can eat up a couple blockers and free up your other guys. So Lamar, likely the best selection of Huskers available for teams to draft this year. But keep an eye out on some of the other guys, too. 866-487-5371 if you want to join the show but joining us next segment will be ben mclaughlin who's in sunny san diego right now um, i'm sure he's really <laughs> poor poor ben having to, to slum it in san diego his advanced um, scout has come to an end <laughs> he'll be he'll be calling the game tonight with uh, along with greg sharp so we're going to talk to him next more sports nightly after this Welcome back to Sports Nightly here on a Friday night. My name's Tim McKern. With me, Austin Orman. And joining us now, the usual host we've evicted for tonight, Ben McLaughlin, who joins us live from sunny San Diego. He's in Fowler Park right now getting ready to call Nebraska and San Diego tonight. It's a 7.30 pregame start here on the Husker Sports Network. 8 o'clock first pitch. Ben, how are you? You know, Tim, I'm doing all right. How are, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I think we're a little how, bit. How are you? So, which one's in my seat tonight? Uh, I got your seat, Ben. Okay. I'm so you got the you got the TV view. Very yes. good. You got the TV view. So can't yeah. complain there. And he's got the big right. shoes to fill. I mean, I don't know how he's supposed to do it, how to carry right. a legacy tonight, but you know, it is what it is. And I'm, I'm loving well, the music too. That's a pretty good selection they got going. Is that yeah, well, uh, Greg's, Earth, Wind, Greg's driving to it because normally it's you know it's the hip <laughs> times with the music that stuff that he doesn't really get into. But this is this is his wheelhouse. <laughs> he, he was 
humming and singing in the last song, and he's kind of grooving right now. So yeah, good, that, good stuff right now. That's that's good stuff. Um, well, Bren, um, I guess we'll just start here getting your first impressions of the Baylor series. Uh, I know you weren't in Waco, but of course um, you were following it closely. Nebraska absolutely blew the doors off the Bears in Game One on Friday, winning nineteen to nine. Had a heartbreaker on Saturday in the ten inning loss, eight to seven, and then on Sunday um, a little bit of a, a lackluster effort, uh, lost seven to two. But um, there's probably a lot of stuff to be positive about, maybe some stuff to, to, to be disappointed in, but just what are your general takeaways from the Baylor series? Well, I think the first thing to me is is how much your your opinion of a first weekend can change. You know, I think we're typically the mindset, that, well, depending on the opponent, obviously. You know, if it's Nebraska's first weekend out, if it's a solid opponent, you're thinking, okay, go down there, get one, and just play play good baseball. And, and, and most of the time you're, you're happy with getting, getting one win against a quality team like Baylor. Um, now, obviously, like I said, things can change rather quickly when when you watch the first inning on Friday and you put up an 11 spot and basically have that game wrapped up before Baylor even comes to bat. Th- then your attitude shifts. And, and, you know, I told Greg this, Greg and Nick this, you know, just following along the weekend. I think the, di- the disappointment came in on Saturday when you had a real chance to uh, to come from behind the way that they did after the Polinski Grand Slam to tie it. Ty Roseberry had the, the go-ahead homer late in the game. And you hand the ball to probably the guy that you feel the best about on this staff coming into the year in Shea Shanneman. And, and he surrenders the lead in the in the ninth and blows it in the tenth. And I think that, that to me is where the disappointment comes in. You spend all that energy coming back. You had a chance to really rip the hearts out of Baylor. And who knows what Baylor team you're seeing on Sunday if you find a way to come from behind on Saturday. So hard to say you're disappointed uh, with the effort with the team because you love the, the idea that they came back and, um, you know, were tough-minded as Will Bolt once. But, you know, to walk out of there with just one after uh, the way Friday night started specifically and then on Saturday to hand the ball to your, you know, on paper your best pitcher coming into the year and, and have it slip away was, was pretty disappointing. But I think the team's in a good mindset coming into this weekend. A group of people need to be in a good mindset, Ben, the pitchers. Coach Bolt said he saw you know positive signs from them last week, but an ERA north of six isn't going to get it done throughout the year. You go to a tournament with a lot of offensive-minded teams. What does improvement look like out of the pitchers this weekend? Well, if, if history repeats itself, Austin, this ballpark that we're playing in tonight, Fowler Park, we played here uh, four years ago now, which seems crazy, but the ball just flies out of this park. And I expect to see a couple of long balls tonight. I think... The first time these two teams played on this field a few years ago, the final score was 17-5. to So I expect to see some runs tonight. Now, the interesting thing to me is going to be, how does Gareth Stroh come out and pitch in a competitive game? You know, you, he hadn't even t- touched the hill as a Husker yet and was given an 11-run cushion. And, and, you know, these kids are human. And any pitcher that toes the rubber with an 11-run lead, you know, probably has uh, things going on in their mind that they wouldn't otherwise. If Nebraska got sat down one, two, three, you're probably going to be a little more focused on, on your detail than you would up 11 runs in the first inning. So I'm I'm eager to see how a guy like Gareth Stroh comes out and competes in a game that we're not expecting Nebraska to score 11 runs here in this first inning. But I'm eager to see, you know, how he settles in and how he pitches in a competitive game. And then how, the, how do they then piggyback off of a Gareth Gareth Stroh performance today. I think Nebraska um, is going to have some role-identifying moments kind of this weekend, and it could start right away tonight piggybacking off Stroh, and you hope to give you know Nebraska th- their first really, really good start of the year. Uh, you know, Kate Povich kind of 
settled in for Nebraska and did some good things on Sunday. But it would be nice to see Gareth come and set the tone here on a Friday night. Uh, talking with Ben McLaughlin. Uh, ben, of all these teams here, they're all 3-1. and one. Um, Who do you expect is going to give Nebraska the biggest fight? And I guess kind of on the opposite, who do you think the Huskers stand the best chance against? Well, when you look at all of these teams individually, uh, I think they're all coming from a little bit different perspective, right? I mean, you look at uh, the team they're playing tonight, San Diego. A year ago, they were 32-21. and 21. They just missed out on the, on the West Coast tournament. Uh, only four teams make that tournament, so they didn't even qualify being 11 games over 500. They finished with an RPI of 93, so disappointing for them to not make the tournament. Uh, but, you know, when you look at what they bring back, they lose three of their top four hitters and their top three pitchers. So they're kind of a little bit like Nebraska on the mound trying to find their way. San Diego State, a team that Nebraska plays tomorrow, is, is a little bit different. They got a lot back offensively and a team that was seven games above 500 and finished with an RPI of 79. Now where they ran into trouble was their conference tournament. They went two and out. That really uh, crippled their chance to make a regional but this team tomorrow San Diego State picked to finish first in their conference they've won four of the last six championships in the Mountain West they're a really solid ball club in the Mountain West so you're expecting a good challenge and then of course Arizona in the Pac-12 uh, you know their Jay Johnson has been as good as anybody leading a team and um, you know getting things figured out for Arizona a lot of confidence in him they have one of the best catchers in the country on the team in Austin Wells who homered earlier today for Arizona here in this ballpark so Arizona is a team that's picked fourth in the Pac-12. That's a league that's been down, but that's a name brand. That's a team that was uh, one game away from uh, winning a College World Series championship a few years ago. So they have the name brand. They're trying to get back to where they've been. Uh, they've made 39 NCAA tournaments, so that's a team that kind of know, knows their way. So they're all kind of a, in, in different spots, I would say. But, you know, on paper, I think Arizona is probably the team you look at that, that's probably the most complete club with San Diego State right behind. It would help if Nebraska had Jackson Homer. Do you have any update on him from San Diego? Yeah, the good, the good news with Jackson is there's no structure issues with the leg. So he's not going to require surgery or anything like that. It's just more of a, a time timetable. He is on the trip here in San Diego, but we've been told uh, by team personnel that he's not going to play this weekend. And so now it's just a, it's a pain tolerance thing. It's just a day-by-day -day type situation. I think best-case scenario for Nebraska, you get him back for the home opener. Uh, but it's nothing serious, nothing long-term, which is a good thing because he got off to a great start for Nebraska on Friday night. We've talked a lot already, Ben, about um, the pitching staff because that was a huge kind of mystery heading into the season with basically a brand-new uh, starting rotation. But I wanted to focus a little bit on the offense too because that's a big hallmark of Will Bolt teams and how they're aggressive on the base pass and even aggressive at the plate. Um, when you look at the entire lineup, Ben, who, do you, uh, who sticks out to you this season? Uh, who do you feel is going to have the biggest sort of impact at the plate and who's Nebraska going to have to rely on there, do you think? Well, Aaron Polensky, I think, is going to be right in the thick of it. He was a third-team All-League selection a year ago and um, you know, just murdered the ball last weekend against Baylor, had the big grand slam. He, he was Nebraska's leading hitter a year ago. So I think he's going to kind of always be the guy in the lineup that you want up in a big situation. And then the other guy that we're expecting to see uh, you know, kind of take that step forward is, is Spencer Schwellenbach, a guy that uh, was slow out of the gate as a freshman, expecting – you know, more now that he's a sophomore. And remember, he had that ankle injury late in the year last year, which really hindered him, but was on a tear to finish the year. He was on the Big Ten All-Tournament team and 
um, was Nebraska's hottest bat in Omaha in the Big Ten tournament. That's another guy that has to take a step forward. But I'm looking forward to seeing what these freshmen can do. Leighton Banjoff uh, drew a couple of starts as a freshman last week, looking for his first hit, but he reached base four times on Friday. And Luke Boynton is just a mountain of a man. And, you know, he, he obviously just looks good in the box at six foot five and, you know, really thick build. So. Um, how do some of these freshmen throw themselves into this lineup? I think it's going to be interesting. But, you know, then it's just going to be, I think the key offensively for this year and this year's team is just going to be balance one through nine. There are going to be there are going to be nights where seven, eight, nine are going to carry this team in the lineup. Guys like Mojo and, and Banjoff and Joe Acker are going to have to carry carry this offense. And I think they're more than capable of doing that. Ben, you mentioned, you mentioned Banjoff and Boynton. Are there any young guys you expect to see over this weekend you didn't see last weekend? I think those are probably the, the guys that are going to get the first crack. I know this this staff is really, really high on Banjoff, freshman from Ohio. I think he's got a really high ceiling and probably came in the most ready to go. I think Boynton is still making that adjustment to, to college pitching, which is always a tough one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you, you might see guys get sprinkled in and get a crack, but I think most of the of – the, young guys and new faces that you're going to see are going to be on the mound um, you know guys that we haven't seen before as Huskers make more of an impact on the mound but those are the two guys they look at and you know a guy that is not necessarily a newcomer but would be a newcomer in terms of playing time is Drew Gillen saw a little bit of him last week replacing Jackson Hallmark the, the Miller South product had a couple of base hits that were worth runs so in terms of new players and, and maybe guys that that our fans aren't too familiar with that's where I'd start. Well, Ben, we can't uh, let you go without uh, you giving us some of your, your top things to do in San Diego. You've basically been living there for a week. You're basically a native at this point. I'm sure you've been to the zoo a thousand times already. Uh, what can you tell us about San Diego? You get stumble on any good eateries, anything like that? Oh, man, you should see me behind the wheel of the rental car. I know exactly where <laughs> I'm going. I know where the exits are. Uh, we hopped up into La Jolla today. The wife was with me. Didn't even need the Google Maps. Nice. Uh, I took. I got. I got Sharpie and, and Connor up to Torrey Pines uh, without a map up in La Jolla. Oh. Just a beautiful, beautiful golf course uh, that had its fun with me on Wednesday. And then we. Uh, and then you know we hit hit a nice uh, ocean view lunch spot that we've been meaning to go to. So yeah, I'm basically a native San Diegoan, San Diegan. I don't know what they call him at this point. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful weather here. It's 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 truly truly difficult to complain. And yeah, I've had, a, I've had a solid week. Yeah, you and Ron Burgundy both. Uh, <laughs> good stuff, Ben. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, go call a win today. We'll try. Try not to run the show into the ground, boys. You're, you're doing <laughs> nope, you're no doing promises. well so far, but no we, need, we need a sec, we need a good second half performance out of you too. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> that was Ben McLaughlin. There, it was kind enough to join us from sunny San Diego. It's time for the Weekend Preview, the part of the show where we tell you everything you have to watch this weekend. Come in, watch. It'll be a good one. Sometimes we give you good advice. I could watch that all day. But we're not perfect. There were times I'm like, this is so dumb. Why am I watching this? It's the Weekend Preview with Austin Orman. I'm planning on only giving you good advice of stuff to watch this weekend. Sounds Mostly good. it's college basketball. That's what I'm about. I am a junkie. I need my fix every weekend. So that'll be the bulk of this, of what I've written down. But before we get to that, busy weekend in Husker sports. You just heard Josh yes. tell you about softball, Mary Nutter Classic in Cathedral City, California. Hopefully Nate Rohrer packed some tea bags. His voice is going to need it. Five games for the Huskers this weekend. 
He's in the middle of his second game right now. Still 2-1 to one, BYU over Nebraska in the bottom of the fourth. Huskers have the bases loaded with two outs. Tristan Edwards at the plate. Pretty good scenario for Nebraska. Tristan Edwards at the plate with the bases loaded. Yeah, uh, that, that's always a good thing. Tristan Edwards is a fantastic player, but the Huskers softball team reeling a bit right now. Is that fair to say? I mean, they've lost oh three straight. Um, hopefully they're able to bounce back right now. I mean, BYU is a really, really good team, and I mean, same thing with the baseball team. If you're flying halfway across the country every weekend, it's really, really tough to dig in and be competitive week in and week out, but you know, to their credit, they're 5-5 five and five right now. Um, yes, the last three games have not gone their way, obviously, but the season's just getting underway, and you have, what, four really quality opponents that, you know, BYU, Cal, Washington, Florida left. I mean, that's pretty big, pretty big slate, pretty big test for the team. You might have played the best team. Oklahoma was ranked number three. They beat Nebraska 10-2 to two today, made the Women's College World Series last year, lost the championship series to UCLA, currently undefeated and number one. BYU made the Stillwater Regional last year, so today's tough. Tomorrow's equally as tough. Cal was 500 last year. They're 7-4 and four to start this season, usually around the NCAA tournament discussion. But number two, Washington awaits. That's the nightcap tomorrow. 14 Women's College World Series appearances. Each of the last three years, the Huskies have been there without one of their better players, Sis Bates, an infielder, but still a very, very tall task for the Huskers. And that doesn't get any easier on Sunday. Last game of the challenge, Nebraska will take on Florida. That's an 11 a.m. Central tilt, 9 o'clock Pacific time for Nate out there on the left coast. Florida's been to all but two Women's College World Series since 2008, including the last three as well. So an absolutely loaded field. Five of the top seven teams in the top 25 poll are down to that tournament. Just silly how good it is and what else is silly is that they're playing at like mock replicas of major league baseball stadiums like they're playing at yankee (laughs) stadium tonight i assume that's also a launching pad like the real yankee stadium and then you have fenway i would like to see i feel like i have seen pictures of in the past of the green monster the softball uh complex version of the green monster the little monster maybe but uh that's certainly an interesting gimmick they have there but uh you know hey uh i won't knock it it is uh they are close to disneyland i suppose uh good for them (laughs) if you ask nate he would trade a replica of the green monster for a stable internet connection (laughs) that's true that is true. Uh, what else we got going on the weekend, Austin? Oh, we got plenty. Husker baseball as well. We talked to Ben earlier. He gave us a little bit of the breakdown. So tonight, Nebraska takes on San Diego, uh, one of the host schools. Chris Bryant, you. Yes, that Chris Bryant played for playing for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, that's where he played. That'll follow us. We'll lead you up to the baseball broadcast. Last year, San Diego was 32 and 21. This year, they've beaten Minnesota, or last year, they beat Minnesota, Indiana, TCU. So they're a solid program out there. Garrett Stroh, he'll get the start again. Like Ben said, fine in the season opener, but really the first high leverage games, he's not going to go out there, you presume, with an 11 nothing lead. Right. And, you know, as Ben was talking about, you know, if you can just grab one, obviously you want to win every game you play. But if you can just grab one of the series, that's fine. And you probably most likely scenario is they get it tonight, maybe against San Diego State. But as Ben was saying, yeah, Arizona, that's that's pretty tough. I mean, that's a really tough game to win. Absolutely. So I hope to steal Friday's game, then Saturday's game tomorrow against San Diego State at the Tony Gwynn Field. He went to San Diego State, of course. 24 hours later, 8 p.m. first pitch, 7.30 pregame again tomorrow night. Colby Gomes gets the ball. ERA of over 22 right now. Rough first outing for Colby Gomes as he transitions from the closer role last year into a starting role this year. Pitching or The staff seems high on him as a starting pitcher. Thinks he has the body type to do it, put on a little weight, build that endurance. 
the tools are there. You just hope mm-hmm. he figures it out sooner than later, especially with this challenging early non-conference yeah. slate. And he was like, he was actually a closer last year. I mean, he has the height, he has the arm speed. And so I kind of like the idea. It's sort of like what Scott Frost does with the football program is he'll take a guy who's a defensive lineman and says, okay, now you're an offensive lineman because I think you have this certain skill set. So he's taking a reliever and a first baseman too and says, okay, we think you can be a starting pitcher. And so I kind of like it. And, you know, yeah, that's a tough call, tough ass to go into Waco and and try and you know keep uh, keep things contained if, as a starting pitcher. But um, uh, I'm curious to see. Obviously, nowhere close to <laughs> giving up on him yet. Uh, but in terms of the other arms, you can talk about guys like like Stroh um, and, and everyone else. I mean, and a lot of guys come in the bullpen. Um, I know Shea got got tagged a little bit last weekend, but you also had. Um, uh, a Perry who had really really good um, outing in relief so there's a lot I think to be positive right now um, with the offense with the pitching staff so uh, Nebraska baseball again uh, as we said getting underway tonight uh, coverage starting at 7 30 but first pitch set for eight o'clock against San Diego absolutely and then Sunday the weekend capper it'll be an afternoon game 11 30 pregame and then noon first pitch between Nebraska and Arizona a team that's missed the last two NCAA tournaments but like Ben said not by much They did have a 13-game winning streak, did Arizona, starting off this year, but Minnesota beat them. So props to the Gophers, a 5-2 win over Arizona. Husker women's basketball in action this weekend as well. Not the end of their season, but senior day, the last home game for a quartet of Husker seniors. Most notably, Hannah Whitish, Nicaea Alili will play their last games at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Grace Mitchell, another senior as well. And then Christian Hudson, a graduate transfer from Florida International. A good group of seniors. Matt Cotney, sad to see him go. Yeah, and, and they'll have a good chance to finish strongly. Obviously, where the season started and where it has ended are almost polar opposites. But at the same time, um, you still have a chance to, to not only beat Illinois on Saturday, but then on Thursday, they'll finish um, at Indiana and Bloomington and get a couple of wins, maybe make a run in the Big Ten tournament. Um, it's a team that has the potential to do that. I think right now, when you're a little bit of a rut, it's hard sometimes to see the end of the tunnel. Um, but you know, I, I do think that Nebraska has a chance to, to bounce back. And yeah, you're right. They're going to miss those seniors. I mean, it's a, it's a talented group of players. And uh, they still have a lot of young players on the team, too, that, that, are, that are incredibly talented as well. So I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen on Saturday. And, and I, I'm not going to predict victory necessarily, but I certainly think it's in the cards. It's doable. I think you would be right to predict victory, though. Illinois is 2-13 and 13 in the Big <laughs> Ten this year, 11-15 and 15 overall. Not a great season for the Fighting Illini. So this is one Nebraska's got to win. They're sitting at 6-10 and 10 in conference. Minnesota right behind just a half a game back at 5-10. and 10. Nebraska's got to win these last couple, or at least make sure Minnesota loses its last couple mm-hmm. to stay out of the you know early Wednesday playing games. That's really tough to have to win five games in five right. days. And that's really... I think the most probable way the Nebraska women's basketball team gets into the NCAA tournament. Now, 16 wins, 17, 18 wins in the regular season is fine, but you right. lost all your games against good competition. So you're banking on quantity over quality. It'll be so tough. Got to stay out of that early game. It'll be tough. Although I will predict victory for the fans, at least because uh, they'll, they're handing out free travel pillows to all the Husker faithful. <laughs> if you're a Nebraska fan, you hope it's a snooze fest and that Nebraska <laughs> wins going away. So if you go and you're one of the first 750 fans, you can get a free travel pillow. If not, we know you're going to be tuned into Matt Coatney. Pre-game starts at 145. Jeff Grease will join him at 2 o'clock tip-off from the vault. Other Husker happenings over the weekend. Huskers women dive in action right now, actually, at the Big Ten Championships. That's going on in Iowa City. And then both tennis and golf teams are in action as well. Men's tennis in Austin, Texas. Women's tennis in Ames, Iowa. A little bit of a old Big 12 trip for the tennis teams. 
And then the golf teams are in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Peoria, Illinois. The men followed the baseball team out west, while the women went east to Peoria. Hey, not bad, not bad. On to the national stuff. This is where the college basketball talk begins. Tomorrow is going to just be an absolutely loaded, fascinating day. Starting right from the jump, 11 a.m., you have number three Kansas visiting number one Baylor. Baylor won the first game at Allen Fieldhouse. Devin Dotson was out for most of that game with a hip injury. Get the rematch there. Baylor 13-0 in the Big 12. Kansas 12-1. I'm so excited to watch that game. I mean, Baylor, to me, this is such a weird season for college basketball. I mean, it's impossible to get a read on any of these teams. Now, most people acknowledge that Baylor is the best team in the country, um, which is somewhat strange but hey i mean they've gone out and prove it i mean they beat um oklahoma in their last game they beat number 17 west virginia 70 to 59 that was a huge huge matchup um they they've what held off oklahoma state baylor i mean you i don't even know who they lost to Ooh, their, their last loss was they've only have one loss all year there's so. a washington up in alaska that's right so you know baylor's been very very impressive this year now when it comes to the tournament now, I have I am staying absolutely as far, far away from predictions this year more than I ever have. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, who knows? Maybe it is prime like season to fill out a bracket just because you might as well just close your eyes and just fill it out randomly. I mean, there's there's literally no rhyme or reason to what's going on in this basketball season at all. Like not at all. Also at 11 o'clock tomorrow, Tennessee goes to number 13, Auburn. Scuffling a little bit on the plains are the Tigers, especially after the Bachelor went there. Pilot Pete took a hometown <laughs> date to Auburn, Alabama. What was so, that about? So that was, it was a hometown type deal, Auburn? I don't, I don't watch the Bachelor. I just saw screen caps on Twitter and Bruce Pearl was involved somehow. I don't think it's an NCAA <laughs> violation. Naturally, but, he had to be involved. Of course. I mean, I, I'd want that man. I, when, I, when I see Bruce Pearl, I think the Bachelor. I yes. think just Clearly. that raw appeal is what you want on the okay. show pilot pete the uh, protagonist of the bachelor this season didn't know who charles barkley was so barkley told the uh, girl <laughs> just to leave the show and told the bachelor to kick pilot pete off so i would too round mound or rebound deserves more respect another interesting game at 11 number 19 marquette at providence jockeying for standings uh, in the big east always fun to watch marcus howard go off move on to 1 p.m a fascinating fascinating big 10 mm-hmm. game michigan at purdue Michigan has turned it back on. They had a stretch where they were three and seven, won a handful of games in a row now, but they have to go to Mackey yep. Arena where Purdue is an absolute buzzsaw. Right. And we we talked a little bit too about uh, about Dayton actually uh, earlier in the week when uh, we were talking about our top 10 uh, players uh, in college basketball. And again, Dayton's another team this year that's kind of crept up now. You know, they've always been in the conversation in terms of March Madness. They're, they're a team with some pedigree in regards to that. But they're still a mid-major, and they're ranked fifth in the country just because, as I mentioned earlier, college basketball makes absolutely no sense this year. I mean, their last game, they beat VCU. I mean, they're on a huge winning streak right now. They will only have, a, what, like one loss maybe, I think. Um, or actually two losses, 24-2. and two. So I think some people look at Dayton, they think, okay, five, is that a little bit too high? Again, I think the, the rankings this year are... It's, it's legit. It is legit. I mean, they're a good team. And Toby to- or an Obi Topin, I'm not going to get his name right, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> he's a stud. Absolutely. So that's a 1 o'clock game. you got Villanova Xavier at 1.30. A few interesting games in the 3 o'clock hour. Florida State goes to NC State, UNC at number 11, Louisville, who's back in first place in the ACC, and UCLA at number 18, Colorado. The Bruins back from the dead, but really that 3 o'clock hour is just to get you through the 5 o'clock hour when Florida goes to number 10, Kentucky. 
fascinating matchup. Florida was left for dead at some points. They're back in it now. Kentucky's been playing well as of late. Beat LSU by three. Wildcats looking good in the SEC, trying to close it out. But then at night, two huge games Mm -hmm. out on the West Coast. Number 14, Oregon at number 24, Arizona. And number two, Gonzaga at the number one three-point shooting team in all the land. Number 23, BYU. (laughs) You know, I think we actually had a buy-sell question about is Gonzaga going to lose again? And if they do, it'll probably be tomorrow night if that's that's the most likely team. I mean, uh, yesterday, Gonzaga just swatted away. The Dons of San Francisco wasn't even a close matchup. But again, Gonzaga has time and again proven that they are a top-caliber team. But they play in a conference that, quite quite honestly, is just not as strong as the Big Ten or, or any of the other power conferences. So, uh, But again, Gonzaga, they, they've proven it um, um, when it comes to March before. And, you know, if they're going to keep it rolling against anyone, B- BYU, that's uh, not a bad thing. They are the team you picked to zag when everyone else zigs. But I'm tiss. <laughs> Moving on to Sunday, you got number nine, Penn State at Indiana. Penn State, of course, lost their last game at home to Illinois. So you go to Assembly Hall for an 11 o'clock tip-off. Also, Rutgers at Wisconsin. The Badgers 12-1 and at home. Rutgers only road win here at Nebraska. So you probably take Wisconsin based on those numbers, but a fascinating matchup. Probably going to be slow, probably going to be unwatchable unless both teams start hitting their three sometime soon. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think you're going to put your money down on that. That uh, sounds good to me. Two big games later in the afternoon, though, both at 3 p.m. Top 25 Big Ten matchup. Number seven, Maryland, goes to Columbus to take on number 25, Ohio State. Terrapins, of course, still leading the Big Ten. A big game for Ohio State. Get another marquee win to add to their resume, try to improve their seating line. And number 21, Butler, comes into Nebraska. They go to the CHI Health Center to take on number 15, Creighton, at oh. three as well. Fascinating Big East Coach matchup. of the year candidate and Coach McDermott. I mean, it's kind of incredible the, the, the success that Creighton has had this year. I, I frankly was not expecting it, not even close to the amount of output they've had this year. And you know, if you're a Nebraska fan, you probably look at that and you despair a little bit. But, um, you know, hey, I mean, they, they've gone out and earned it pretty much every night. So, uh, But the Big Ten, you know, it's been a very, very wild Big Ten this year. Right now, Maryland's sitting pretty uh, at the top of the standings. They're number seven in the country at 12-3. and three, um, And Penn State, Iowa, not too far behind. But the Big Ten's been pretty packed this year. Absolutely. So Major League Spring Baseball underway as well. Every team played, or one team played today. Jorge Soler hit the first home run of spring training for the Royals. Every team will play Saturday and Sunday. A few interesting games in the NBA. Sixers at Bucks on Saturday and Rockets at Jazz on Saturday as well. Then Sunday you get Celtics Lakers and Pacers Raptors. More XFL. Do you care at all about the XFL, Tim? (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't say I don't care anything for the XFL, but the level of interest, it's fairly low. Fair enough. Okay, so this is where we're going to rope Josh into this as well. I would like to see if you two combined can name oh the eight teams in the XFL. There's like no. the Rough Riders. I, the Seattle Dragons, I know. Okay, two for eight. The Guardians. Three for eight. Uh, what? Is, the ba- Did we say St. Louis? What's St. Louis' team? like the Battle Crew. Crewneck, <laughs> got the, the battle. Got the, <laughs> you got the battle. Uh, Tamp- does ta- is there a Tampa team? There is a Tampa team. Uh, I'm getting cities, but not team names. I'm... <laughs> Obviously, they haven't stuck with me. Uh, is the Outlaws one of them? The Outlaws are a team. Uh, D- Wait, DC no, no, Defenders. that's an old team. That's a, yeah, that's not a team. They what about DC Defenders? I got that's that. a team. That's yep. right. Good job, Heck Tim. Yeah. You're carrying this segment uh, yeah. or this uh, exercise. I know Guy Fieri is looking for a team. I've been seeing that. <laughs> Have we said the Dallas team? The the Roughnecks or Rough Riders or the Roughnecks are from Houston. Oh, okay. There is oh, a team bad. in Dallas though. Oh my bad. That's the Bob Stoops team. Yes. Dallas. <laughs> uh, see, I can throw out random trivia about the teams, but not. 
anything actually helpful. All right, well, here, here, that, this here, has been a blast. Yeah, awesome just help, help us out here. The ones you're missing, Tampa Bay is the Vipers, Dallas is the Renegades, and Los Angeles has a team called the Wildcats. <laughs> Like okay. High School Musical, but better. So. And on that, Austin has uh, ran us out of time. <laughs> so, again, uh, you can catch coverage of Nebraska baseball tonight. Pre-game starting soon at 7.30. First pitch, though, set for 8 o'clock. Well, Austin and I have managed not to burn down the studio. Um, at least we have 30 seconds left, so maybe not. <laughs> but, Hopefully uh, we did Ben proud. We think we made it through the second half of our show. Well, that'll do it for tonight's show. My thanks to Josh Hilkman for producing this one. My thanks for the listeners for hanging with us as we <laughs> try to, to steer this ship. And, uh, of course, uh, please keep it tuned right here uh, and get your coverage in Nebraska and San Diego right here. Uh, have a good night, everyone. Listening to Sports Nightly.